We're in week three of the final week of our series on uh, build this house in the book of, of Haggai. We'll be in chapter two today. If you have your Bibles, we'll be kind of skipping around some of those verses, but we'll cover uh, the, the essence of the chapter for sure. But let me catch you up. If you are just joining us, if you're watching online, wherever you may be, we want to uh, get you up to speed briefly. And so what we talked about over the last couple of weeks is that in the book of Haggai, there's, uh, God is speaking to the prophet Haggai. Over a period of four months, he speaks five different times, all specifically to the group of Israelites that were formerly exiled, now brought back to Jerusalem to build the temple. In fact, that was the point. Let's rebuild the temple of God. And so uh, we established as well that in 2017, in the the day and age you and I live in, we are the temple. Now Jesus has come, died, been resurrected, and now he sent his Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit dwells within us. And so God's presence is with us. It's an amazing truth. And then we also establish that God just wants us to obey him. He wants us to do what he asks us to do. And so that sort of catches us up uh, in what's going on. And, and today we'll dive into four simple points straight out of the text um, that I think will be encouraging for you as we wrap up the book of Haggai. If you have your Bibles, let's look. And starting in verse 3, chapters, verses 1 and 2, is what, what God is saying is, all right, Haggai, you need to go talk to these people, and here's what I want you to say. And for time's sake, we're going to jump right in to verse 3. And so this is the Lord speaking through the prophet. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation today, a little Bible tip for you. If you're studying, read out of a translation. Go to a paraphrase if you need some clarity on a word. Try to get some concept, understanding, but translations are powerful. I just happen to be in the New Living Translation this morning. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 3, does anyone remember this house, the temple, In its former splendor, how in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. Lord, would you speak now in a special way? May we be encouraged to build this house in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So what's happening here is is God's taking him on this little tour. Now, the temple was built in incredible beauty and majesty 70 years prior to this moment, right? This was the amazing temple that Solomon built, and it's completely destroyed. Think about uh, if, if your house was, was burned down to the frame in just complete destruction, and now you're kind of coming back, and, and we're going to try to salvage that and, and rebuild that. That's in essence where we're picking this up. And what I love about God here is that he allows the people to sort of pause and reflect on the past. And, and he asks the question, of, I mean, in comparison, how does it look to you now? And obviously not very good because it was not really built. That's what they were trying to work on. And made me think about this, is that um, the past can be amazing. And if we were talking about music, if I, if I went home today and played for my kids all of the worship music that was popular when I was a teenager... They might like some of it, but they're going to be real thankful for their generation of music, correct? Because that's what they know. And I can hear a song that was popular when I committed my life to Christ as a senior in high school, and the second I hear that, it takes me back. It means something to me. It stirs in me. It creates emotion in me. And and as these people were looking back, those same emotions probably rose up in them. It was like, I mean, the temple, we invested in that. We gave to that. We experienced God there. And there was this place of, of disappointment at, that, 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 that we get to see here. And, 
it reminded me that many times we may do this in different ways. We may think back to, if we'll just use Mid-Cities, Mid-Cities started back in a, in a motel, I think in the very beginning, and, and then, we, then uh, the vision came to come build out of between two cities, and, and, and then the new sanctuary, which is now where Mid-Cities and Espanol meets, was the sanctuary, and when Pastor Russ Austin is in town, he often gives Pastor Daniel a hard time that this once amazing sanctuary where God showed up and ministered to people and lives were changed is now called the box. And I think that might have been under Pastor Daniel's youth ministry tenure, and so it's a little jab and a poke. And the point being, it's like, man, he remembers it differently than when he walks in and sees it now. And now, praise the Lord for Espanol, who's now come and rescued the box and made it mid-cities in Espanol again, right? But we, we think about that. You, you might have a favorite pastor or staff member that used to be here, and when they were here, oh man, God, I mean, life was good. And now... Just stuck with this, right? You, you, you feel those things or, or maybe you, you, you prefer different styles. And, I, and I, I guess the point is this, is that I don't think it's wrong that we feel these things, but what would be tragic, what would be tragic is to let the past cause us to miss what God is doing now. I think we celebrate these great moments. I think we remember those days. In fact, this summer, our family's going to travel back to Washington State. That's where we were living for five years before we moved to Midland, Texas. And we were talking months ago and reminiscing about all the different places we went and the things that we did. And, and we started calculating how much longer our kids are in the house and went, we need to take a trip back to Washington. Now... There's no worry or fear that we're going to run back and, and, and think that's where we're supposed to be, but it's going to be fun to go back and walk and see the places that our kids learn how to ride bikes. It's going to be fun to see the house that we lived in. It's going to be fun to see the park that really wasn't a park, but after, right after we moved, they announced building this amazing parker block from our house for kids. And so we'll go celebrate that. But if we had dwelled on that, we would miss what God's doing right here what he's doing in our lives right now. And so God gives the, the Israelites a moment to look back, but then he challenges them to begin looking forward. So the four points, number one is simply this, be strong. Be strong. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 4, but now the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Jeshua. Be strong, all you people left in the land. To be strong means to take courage. It's a pep rally. It's a moment. Think about a little halftime moment, getting ready for the Super Bowl. It's a little halftime moment that we're going, come on. You guys can do this. You can win this. You guys, we can take the hill. Let's don't quit. We've all been in environments where we see that encouragement. And what, is the, what the prophet is trying to do, what God's trying to speak through the prophet is to revive the people and go, come on, guys. Come on, men and women. Be strong. Be strong. And so I want to speak to you today, mid-cities. Be strong. Mid-cities, we've got to be strong. God has done amazing things in our past, but he's going to be doing amazing new things in the future. He's doing amazing things right now, and we must be strong. We must pull together and drive each other, encourage each other to be part of what God is doing. Let me take it to a different level. I'm going to speak to the students for a minute. As, as high school students, I want to encourage you as young men and women 
to be strong. I, I harped in the first service that there's a massive shortage of godly men. Can all the ladies say? It's just true. I, I'm sorry, but it's true. I could rattle off tons of amazing godly women in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and they refuse to settle, and there's just a shortage of godly men that know how to love a woman, that know how to treat a woman, that will respect and honor her. And, and I'm just telling you, young men, be strong. Like, be the kind of guy that people can look up to and respect and value. And ladies, can I encourage you, do not compromise. I mean, do not compromise. I remember in high school, um, I, was, I was not a good guy. That is a confession. I was a not a good guy. And when I did get saved and God got a hold of me, I was truly transformed. And I, was, I remember distinctly taking, this is going to sound funny, I'm going to clarify. I took a year off. I removed myself from the market for a year. Now, when I say that, let me clarify. It's not... I don't want to mislead you. It's not like there was this trail of beautiful, godly women in line to go, oh, Mick, would you please ask me out? That was not happening. Trust me. <laughs> but I removed myself from the game because I was a jerk. I was not capable of loving a woman like she needed to be loved. I couldn't treat her like she needed to be treated. And so I just removed myself. And in the process is when Bonnie and I got to be best friends. I had no idea Bonnie's going to be my wife. You can ask Bonnie. She's not here. She's at first service. Praise the Lord. But I would always tell Bonnie, like, we just cultivated a friendship. And in my little male ignoramus brain, I would say, I'm going to marry somebody just like you. <laughs> now, ladies, from a man's perspective, that's a compliment. <laughs> right? But I've been told many times since then, from the female perspective, the conversation would go like this. What's wrong with me? Like, what's wrong with me? Is he, is he blind? What is he doing? And I just, but we've got to, I'm just, the point is be strong. We've got to be strong. Don't compromise. And when you meet guys like Mick, just hold out until God gets a hold of them and changes them. Be strong. Be strong, everybody. I want to speak to the parent, parents, moms, dads. Your kids may be little. It's hard. You didn't get an extra hour of sleep today. That's a myth, right? Things are hard. You may have teenagers that are giving you fits. It may be incredibly difficult. There may be seasons in your parenting that it's just, it's just hard. There's no other explanation. You just want to cry your eyes out and you feel like a failure. I'm telling you, mom and dad, be strong. Be strong and encouraged in the Lord. If you have adult children, adult children that are wayward, mom and dad, be strong. Keep praying. Keep believing God to bring them back to their senses, to bring them home, and don't carry the guilt. Continue to pray for them and believe God for them. For the Christian who's tired and weary, you're just tired and and you, and you believe in God, but right now you just kind of want to chunk it all in and you're tired of it. And, and, and you know the right answers, but it's not working like you want it to. Be strong. Be strong. God is faithful. He's on his throne. He's not promised us perfection. He's not promised us a season without opposition and difficulty. 
He's challenging the people of Israel in 520C to be strong. And I think the Lord would say to us today, be strong. Secondly, my favorite, get to work. This is the Mickey Eccles lane right here. I love this one. In the second half of verse 4, and now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord. Just get to, it's simple, it's not complicated. He's telling the people in 520 BC, you need to, are you ready for this? Get off your buttocks. Now, that is a medical term. I looked it up, I double checked 30 times. It is a medical terminology that's fully acceptable for all ages in this room. But it's practical. Let's get off our tails and get to work. No eat, no work, no eat, right? If we want to see God work and move, if that temple's going to go up, if you and I are going to become the men and women God wants us to be, we have to get to work. We're not talking about salvation. This is not a salvation conversation. This is a life of following Christ conversation, and we need to get to work. Let me give you some ideas. I, you, you will hear God clearly, but what are some things that we might need to be working on? To work means to put forth effort, to be intentional. And so I would encourage some of us to just work on our relationship with Jesus. Like grab a friend and say, how do you spend time with God? Like how's that work for you? Help me understand that. I wanna, I'm struggling in this and I wanna know how you do it. Ask questions. Some of us need to work on our marriage. We just gotta work on our marriage. Listen, every great marriage works on it. You wanna talk about a myth? The idea that a couple that gets married and it's, it's God's plan and it just all works, it just works itself out. No, no way. No, every great marriage in this room works at it. They work at it hard. There's times it's natural and flowing and easy and there's other times you're grinding it out going, we've got to figure out how to communicate. There were times when Bonnie and I were having some conversations I could, when we lived in Washington. We needed to have some hard conversations. I'm talking in-depth, intimate, hard conversations. And we'd turn the lights out, it'd be pitch black where we couldn't see each other. That's work. She wanted me to be honest. She wanted to hear what I had to say. We could not see each other's face. That's just where we were. But we had to work at it and develop and cultivate that oneness and intimacy. Some of us need to work on our attitude. Like some of us just need to work on our attitude. We've got to quit being the victim. We've got to quit being the, the abused person in the situation. We've got to quit thinking God's all out to get us. We've got to quit thinking everybody else's is, is, life's not fair. We've got to just work on our attitude. Listen to God. Do what God says. Some of us need to work on our heart to serve. How many of you are thankful that we have people right now that are serving your kids? Some of you have your shirts on. And you're serving next service or you did first service, but I'm thankful that there's people. I'm thankful that there's people at Mid-Cities that saw the vision for this building we're in right now. That somebody put the time, energy, and effort to build this place that you and I get to experience God in right now. I'm thankful that there were people that served in that way. People that gave that way. Some of us need to work on forgiveness. I've always had this thought about forgiveness. It's real easy until somebody hurts you. 
Now, my personality, if we did a personality, we, we like to use flag pages here for some marriage stuff, and we've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these. And my personality is what they call from perfect country. Now, that's, a, that's trouble right from the get-go. Because the second you hear that, you go, oh, yeah, they think they're perfect. And, and we do. Um, but um, <laughs> what it really means is that we're very precise on details. Like, we want to be right. So as Christmas is approaching, like, if there's a TV like, we would research the hound out of that TV. Like, we would know, there would not be a single thing left about that TV we've not discovered before we're making a decision. So when we make the decision, we feel right. Now, here's where it gets challenging on the forgiveness issue. When you challenge us or you disagree with us, it hurts our feelings. And when this little personality test unlocked that, it just unlocked me. I went, oh, that makes perfect sense. My personality type, it's very difficult to hear feedback. I mean, we value feedback, but we don't want it. And so I'm not really sure how that works. <laughs> like, I believe in feedback. I like to give you feedback. <laughs> I'd rather give you feedback. <laughs> Why? Because it might be hurtful. It might be personal. It might be true. And I have to change. And so I'm just saying my personality can get our feelings hurt easy, and we have to choose to forgive. We have to just choose to forgive. If we talked about, if this was a series on forgiveness, at the end of the day, it would boil down to this. You've got to choose to forgive. Like, it's really what it boils down to. It's not going to be fair. It's not going to feel right. It's going to, in fact, probably feel very wrong. But at the end of the day, we choose forgiveness. So no more excuses. It's all in chapter 1. No more excuses. If we're going to grow, if we're going to get to work, if we're going to build on the things God wants us to build, it's going to cost us time. You've got 50 hours a week. We found that out last week. Congratulations. You've got plenty of time. We, it's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you relationships. You're going to have to get involved with other people. Like for us to grow and get to work with what God's doing, it's going to be involving other people in our lives. It's going to be difficult. But following God's plan and following God's purpose is completely worth it. There's, I think we're in a critical time. There were two articles I read this week that captivated me. I want to share those with you. Why I think it's essential that you and I as Christians get to work right now in our culture. Like we can't be okay coming to our nice building and calling that good. It is an amazing place to refuel and connect and hear the voice of God. But it's critical that we take this out and live out in the community with the truth. And here's why. Stephen Hawking, one of the most brilliant minds on the planet, some of you will be familiar with this guy, scientist, and he firmly believes, and he's not the only one, that artificial intelligence will replace humanity. Like as evolution continues, we as humans sort of evolve from the monkeys and, and robots, artificial intelligence will replace us as human beings. That, that is a fact that they believe wholeheartedly, and you can see it, you can Google it all over the place, and you'll see tons of articles. Now, I'm not the smartest guy on the planet, and I have no doubt Stephen Hawking would take me down on an academic debate any day. But here's what I do know, that artificial intelligence will never replace humanity. God is coming back for his church. God is coming back for a people and we will never be replaced, but why does it matter that we get to work? Because our kids are being taught this. So if we're just going to become robots, 
Why does all this matter? I mean, it matters, church, that we get out and engage our culture in intelligent conversations with truth. Now, here's another thing about the artificial intelligence. Uh, this is on pretty good fact, uh, a pretty reliable source, that we, right now we have the technology today that, uh, that would make all this possible. But, but, but what this friend of mine was telling me, he said, he's a, a civil engineer in this, in this area, he said, the technology exists today, but 10 years from now, and he told me this as we were driving to Dallas. He said, 10 years from now, you and I won't be having to sit here and hold the wheel. He said, 10 years from now, you could be asleep at the wheel. You could pop the seat back and lay back. We could turn around and play cards. We could read a book. And 10 years from now, when it's time to go to Dallas, we'll punch it in just like we do now in our GPS, and our car just takes us there. My brain is short-circuiting on the highway. I'm going, there's no way. That's not going to work. I'm coming up with all these reasons why it's not going to work. And he says, I'm telling you, it exists today. It could happen today. Um, but there's still logistics being worked out. And so there's, a, there, there's things about where we're going as a culture. And we need to be able to engage. And so I think it would be an awesome thing, by the way. I don't think that's anti from the devil. I think if you and I can punch a button and get to Dallas, it's going to be amazing. But what I'm saying is, robots are not replacing us. And we must engage people. And we must engage relationships. And we must work and be about the things of God. And so what is God asking you to build? What is God asking you to build? What do you need to be working on right now? That's different for all of us, <clears throat> but let's get to work. Thirdly, be spirit-filled. How are we going to do all this? Look at verse 5. My spirit remains among you just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. In 520 B.C., the people are encouraged. My spirit is with you. God is with you and I. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. We walk with him. He speaks to us. And we must be spirit-filled. Some of the things God's asking you to do, you're going, man, I want to work on this. I want to work on that. But I know I'm supposed to, but I don't want to. So how do we do what we no, we need to do when we don't want to, by the Holy Spirit. Your flesh is going to say no. Your flesh is going to choose self. But we choose to walk in the Spirit, and God gives us the ability to forgive. God gives us the ability to love. God gives us the strength to persevere. God comforts us when we're grieving beyond the ability to think about the next moment. The Spirit of God empowers us and encourages us. Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Pastor Daniel's taught this many times, to be filled or supplied with, it's an ongoing process and we need constant deposits. It's why our time with God is so important. Lord, fill me up today. It's as simple as that. Lord, fill me with your Spirit today. Lord, let my way be your, like when John said, Lord, you become greater, I'll become less. We walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.26 says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. In this particular passage, for example, it says we don't know what to, God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that words cannot be expressed. And the Holy Spirit helps us in every moment. I was talking to a couple yesterday and just they were walking us through some of their history and there was this incredibly big disappointment many years ago in this couple's life and it led us to this conversation that God is just gracious. Whenever you need 
the Spirit of God. And you're in a situation that is impossible and you can't navigate it any other way. There's a grace given. Remember when it talks about in the New Testament? You're going to be arrested and you're going to be persecuted and don't worry about what to say. At that time, I will give you the words. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say when we learn how to be spirit-filled. We can navigate. We can be strong. We can get to work. And we do it with God's power. In chapter 1, they tried it on their own, did it their own way. We know how that worked out. And so for many of us today, at the end of our service will be an amazing moment for you to just stand before the Lord and say, God, fill me with your spirit. Give me a fresh infilling. I need a new touch. And by the way, you can do that at any time, at any place, at any point in your life. The fourth point is this. Better days are coming. If you read through this chapter, you'll see that God is describing and referencing again how they used to do it on their own, but then he points them to the future. And in Haggai 2 verse 7, it says, I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord. The silver is mine, the gold is mine. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Could anybody use some peace in, in, in your life right now? Can, can you imagine, could anybody use some better times? Like if, if, if everything went just like it's going right now, you're just going, oh man, Lord, you're going to have to really show up. And what I love in this chapter is God raises up a prophet and encourager to say, be strong, get to work, let the Spirit empower and fill you, and better days are coming. Like better days are coming, days of peace. And so when we get into our culture and we start reading Things We start seeing stuff on the news. We deal with tragedies. We deal with crisis. When all of life begins to unfold, it's so fascinating to watch the believer who's grounded in the word just walk. They just navigate life. They feel it. They feel the pain. They're not immune. They're not superhuman. They feel the grief. But there's a presence... The Spirit of God is inside them in such a way that they have all that they need for anything that comes their way. That is the truth and that is the promise and the hope that we have as followers of Christ. And so I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to enter into a time of worship. I just want you to connect with God. But if the Lord has spoken to you today... Let me just remind you one more time. Let me walk us through these simple points straight out of the text. Be strong. For those of you who are weary, may the Lord fill you to overflowing in just a moment. For those of you that need to get to work, you've just gotten off your seat. Praise the Lord. You took your first step. Now let's go. Let's go do what God's asked us to do. It's essential. It's critical. The kingdom of God is dependent on you doing what God has asked you to do. And the good news is we can do it by being spirit-filled. 
It's not in my own strength. I'll never pull this off in my own strength. But God will allow me to get over hurt feelings. God will use my personality, but he will help me not let it be a crutch. And God will begin to empower me to do things I never thought possible. And as we continue Mid-Cities to grow together, work together, partner together to advance the kingdom of God, amazing days have come, but better days are coming. Let's worship together.